this Bible study, uh, Are You Ready for Your Healing? And we have talked about, since we started this study, uh, the ways uh, or the, the things about healing uh, that stop it, uh, the things that cause us sometimes not to be healed, and that is our lack of faith or our lack of understanding of the Word of God, uh, understanding that healing once you are born again comes not by miracle power, but rather by the covenant that we have with God. Uh, and we've talked about how to gain faith and all of these things, but uh, it's kind of the, uh, the, the necessary part of healing. But today, uh, we're going to uh, begin turning a corner, and we're going to talk about the book of Job. Anybody ever heard of the book of Job? What is the book of Job about? I have suffering, tragedy, faith. Okay. The book of Job, did you know it has something to do with your healing? Most people doesn't, don't see it as... And, and we heard today, and I, it, it's, it's, it falls, and I'm not sure exactly where it completely falls, but, but we have a misconception of the book of Job. It's probably one of the most un, misunderstood books in the entire Bible. It is the book of Job. The, uh, the, the traditional way of looking at the book of Job is to talk about how Job suffered. It talks about the tragedy that Job went through, and, 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 and these things are true, however the book of Job is not about these things. It's much more than, than Job's suffering. It's much more uh, than, than virtually everyone uh, believes. We've missed this message that the book of Job contains, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, this morning. Actually, understanding the book of Job is not that difficult, but because we as humanity and our, our filters and the, way we, the paradigms that we, we look at it through, uh, we have to understand this, and these, we need revelation about the book of Job uh, and the promises that Job offers to all believers. And we teach it, we preach it about the suffering that Job went through uh, in the book of Job. Uh, but and there's, we understand in our life that there's nothing we can do about it. We're all going to suffer. Uh, about we're all going to suffer things like Job did, but that's contrary to the power and the mercy of Jesus Christ that he taught in the word of God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, when Jesus went to the synagogue, listen, when Jesus went to the synagogue and opened the books of the Bible to read, he assured us that there is a promise of deliverance, and that promise has been fulfilled in his life, it, that promise was fulfilled by his life, and that story is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. We've all read it, but I want us to read it and listen to it again. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus is in the synagogue, and this is what's happening. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down, 
and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. In other words, Jesus is saying that in these past days, uh, maybe these things happened. But today, starting today, uh, starting in your hearing, starting while you're sitting here, there is going to be deliverance for the captive. The blind are going to see again. The brokenhearted are going to be healed. Uh, all of these things are going to happen as it was prophesied. And today, that is being fulfilled right in front of your very eyes. Jesus had already done something about our suffering. So let's talk about the book of Job and about this suffering uh, that we oftentimes associate with it. Most people associate the book of Job with misery and suffering. It's not just general suffering that we, that we think about it, but God sent divinely imposed suffering. God did it. Many people proclaim to us in this, the story of Job, many people believe this and teach it, that God is the one that calls Satan's attention to Job. God then offers up Job to Satan as some kind of sacrificial lamb, thus providing to Satan Job's love and devotion to the Lord. That's what we believe. We think God called Satan's attention to Job so that Satan could go cause Job to suffer to prove to God whether Job really loved him or not. You believe that? So it is always natural in our humanity when we, when we see this that we question this thing. Why, uh, what is the reason for suffering? Is suffering chastisement? I've heard this one before. Is suffering chastisement? Is it judgment or is it punishment for our sin? You remember somebody in the New Testament asked that about a blind man. Jesus was going to heal and they said, who sinned? This man or his parents. He was blind. He was born blind. Jesus said neither. Our suffering is not a result of sin. It's not a result of judgment uh, or God being mad at us. I've heard that so many times. Well, you know, bless God, they did something, such and such happened to them, so that's their punishment. Y'all remember, I may have mentioned this before, there was this moron that got on TV, nationwide TV, supposedly pastor some church in Kansas, and said that Hurricane Katrina was God's judgment because of New Orleans. Did y'all remember hearing that? Now how dumb is that? You build a city in a bowl, in a low spot, on the coast, where hurricanes have been taking place since God created the earth. And we get mad because one hit the city. Go to Kansas, build a house in the middle of a cornfield, right in the middle of Tornado Alley. Your house gets run over by a tornado. That is not judgment. That is you built a house right where a tornado went. Okay? So God does not impose this stuff as judgment or punishment for us. Is the devil the reason for our suffering? Did the devil make us do it? Is suffering God's way of teaching us lessons that we need to learn? What a question. 
well, I guess God's trying to teach me something. I have to go through this. Does God send suffering to us for our good? <laughs> I don't know why this is all of a sudden popping, but can y'all hear that? Would y'all please ignore it for me? Okay. So does God use suffering? Does he send it to us? Does he create suffering for us to make us better people? Is God really good and loving? Or is God just really mean and a dictator? The issues that, that humans, uh, the humans go through in our thinking about suffering uh, and surrounding human suffering have done more to shape our perspective about God than any other factor. More people have a mindset about God based on suffering. A true story, I met a man one time that was a tail gunner in a B-17 in World War II. He was shot down, I think, five or six times in the Pacific Ocean and managed to survive all, every time. Okay? He, he saw a tremendous amount of combat. He saw a tremendous amount of suffering in World War II. He landed on a couple of beaches uh, during the fighting, and, and there was a lot of horror and a lot of, a lot of maimed uh, and, and broken bodies, and, and he ultimately concluded there can be no God because God could not allow this to happen. Suffering shaped and molded his opinion about God, and whether you like to admit it or not, whether you think about it or not, whether you want to think about it or not, People suffering, including your own, will shape your opinion about God. That's not right, but it's what happens. So whenever suffering takes place, it's common for us to ask these questions. Why did God let it happen to me? I have asked that question. God, <laughs> it ain't right, but I did it. Most of you know I was, last year, I went through a spell of time where I was suffering with some gout, and it's painful. It hurts, man. And I would sit there and see other people that were not nice people, and I would say, why don't they have gout? They need to suffer. I'm trying to do something good here, you know. Why did God let it happen to me? Why did God do this to me? And the answer to these suffering questions by the agnostic and the saints differ only in how we phrase it. The agnostic may say, possibly there is no God. On the other hand, the saint quickly uh, is, is to quickly assure you there is a God, but still answer the question, why? The suffering, the questions about suffering are so important. And that's what we're going to start beginning to talk about here in just a minute. Because it, de it defines our view of God. Suffering will define your view of God when it's either you, a close family member, a close friend, somebody that you've seen. You, you see something on TV of all these starving people and, and it defines your view of God. But we have to have a clear understanding of God to be successful in our walk with him. In Matthew 16, Jesus said that we have to have a clear revelation of who he is and a revelation of who we are. Then the gates of hell cannot prevail or cannot stop us. So let's talk about suffering. 
as we start talking about the book of Job, and we've already established this morning that, that a good portion of us, the ones that were brave enough to speak, uh, said that it was about suffering, about tragedy, about pain. Uh, the rest of us didn't want to answer that question. Uh, we're going to re-examine, uh, we're going to examine these, these questions about suffering. Uh, and we're going to hopefully receive a little bit of revelation. Hopefully some of your minds will be open. You can understand uh, about God what is going on, okay? The first thing in understanding what's going on in the book of Job is we need to know who is doing the talking. Now, I'm fixing to shock you. You ready? Who came Sunday morning to be shocked? All right, I got one that's ready. You thought you would never hear this come across a pulpit. Okay? You got your seatbelt fashion. Okay. Please let me finish before you make a judgment and don't turn off your mind. The Bible is not literally true in every statement. How many of you believe that? <laughs> I got two people that raised their hand. They're brave. Every statement is a statement of truth. However, the Bible is truly stated and is an accurate account of events that occurred and who said what. Here is an example of what I mean. Don't go out and say, Brother Merrill said the Bible ain't true. Listen, here's an example. It's not literally true in that every statement is a statement of truth. In Matthew 9 and 3, the Bible tells us that Jesus is a blasphemer. But we know that's not true. It was, we have to ask ourselves, who is doing the talking? It was one of the scribes who we don't give any credibility. Therefore, we quickly understand and reject the statement as a statement of truth, and accept, not as a statement of truth, but accept it as only being stated true. The scribes made the statement, but what he said was untrue. So you understand that in the Bible, people said things that were not true, i.e., the scribes saying that the, uh, Jesus is a blasphemer. That is not true about Jesus, but the scribe did say that. So it was a truly stated statement. You understand what I'm saying? Does everybody get me? That's like me saying, I'm really handsome. The beach. How, how, how is that one? That may not be a true statement, but I just said it. So you know I truly stated it, even though it was a false statement. The second key to understanding uh, what's going on is the rule of first mentions. And we've talked about this before. The rule of first mentions states that once you establish a biblical truth, that it holds true for the entire Bible, understanding that God does not change. When God, when God makes a statement, it does not change. It's not affected by dispensational change. So we know that Jesus is, uh, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he doesn't change. So his word doesn't change. So what he said at the beginning of the word of God is the same or is true till the end of the word of God. Because you cannot separate God and his word, the Bible says, God never comes up with a better idea than his original one. Therefore, God and the word never change but remain the same. 
so we understand the first rules of mention so that if God says something early in the Bible, it is the same through the entire Bible unless he changes it. Now, the book of Job, let me give you just a little bit of history real quick. In the order of the Bible, is considered to be the oldest book of the Bible. It was written before Genesis. Uh, it is, it, Job lived before the flood, okay? It's considered the oldest book of the Bible. And when we use the first rule of mentions in the book of Job, Job had a very marginal revelation of who God was, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. We always want to interpret the older books of the Bible with the newer books of the Bible or the greater light. To understand Scripture clearly, we must use greater light, the New Testament or the words of Jesus, to interpret the lesser light and not vice versa. We use the New Testament or it's the most recent light to interpret the Old Testament or the first ray of light, not the old to explain the new. The beginning of the door should never interpret the open door. This is why so many people do not understand the suffering question in the book of Job. We use limited light that Job had to explain the revelation that Jesus has given us, and it just don't work in that order. Did you catch all of that? I read that. Job had a very limited understanding of God. And so to use Job and say that the way he handled his tragedy, the way that he handled his suffering was the best way is not accurate because Jesus gives us a better way to handle it. But he puts the Job in there for us to read and understand what's going on. There are five reasons of Job's limited knowledge of God. They're the same five reasons why there is no similarity between Job's life and ours. I have had people tell me before that they get that they read the book of Job because their life and Job's life is alike. No, it's not. Job had five things that, that he there's five things that we have Job did not have. And so our life and his life are nothing alike. Job had no written word of God. He had no Bible to go to. He had no references to teach him about God. There was no Bible. Job was living in East Palestine in the days of, uh, or living in East Palestine in the days of Isaac and Jacob meant that Job was not a member of the chosen family. As Ephesians 2 and 12 states, at the time you are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is what you're living with before you get in the covenant with Jesus. This is what you're, you're living away from the chosen family. You're not a part of the bloodline of Jesus Christ at that time. So Job had no promised family. This is before Isaac. This is before Abraham. This is before Jacob. He had no bloodline to, to, uh, to help him. He had no covenant to help him. Job had no preacher or prophet. Whether you like it or not, ministry is a part of God's plan. And he had no preacher, he had no prophet to instruct him or to help him or to talk to him or to expound anything to him. Job didn't have that. We do. Job had no covenant. He had no covenant with God. 
Job did not have the Holy Ghost to lead him and guide him as we do. Remember the Bible says that the Holy Ghost will lead you into all truth. He didn't have the Holy Ghost. Job was spiritually dead. So those are five things that Job did not have that we do have that our life and his life are not alike. Job learned about God through his conscience and through creation. Job lived, uh, or in the that Job lived in, he had no promise to be a part of. He had a conscience that allowed him to, to differentiate between what was right and wrong, and that's it. Job learned a limited amount, or learned what little bit he knew about God through his conscience and through creation, just watching that. Job sacrificed, he was a great man, he was a godly man, obviously. Job talked to God, Job prayed, those things are true, but he didn't have a great understanding of God. And so he was only able to learn things through observing creation or nature. Romans 1 and 19 through 20 tells us um, that man can learn about God through creation. The Bible says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, God's Godhead, the, the, the Godhead of God, the one God, one true God, three manifestations of one God, his power, all of that stuff is manifested in creation. If you wanted to, you could look at creation, study creation long enough, and understand just on that that there's one God. You could understand that he has all power. Um, I know this has been mentioned a couple of times, but Brother Murphy and I two or three years ago had an awesome opportunity to eat lunch with Brother Mark Staring, who is our, uh, our missionary to Lebanon, to a Muslim country of Lebanon. And his brother, Brother Staring's brother, is literally a rocket scientist. You know, you, you hear those stories about, man, you'd have to be a rocket scientist. Well, he, that's what he does. He worked for NASA for many, many years, for 30, 35 years, and uh, was a part of all of these high-tech programs of satellites and the space shuttle. And guy was brilliant beyond uh, imagination, but was a devout uh, or a, a, at least a professed uh, agnostic at best sometimes, did not believe in God at all. And um, he said, he told, you know, here his brother is a missionary to Lebanon, and he's don't even believe in God. But he said that uh, one of the things that happens at NASA is you guys out of college that, I don't know who that is. Thank you, Brother Charlie. Um, but he said one of the, the interesting things about, about these NASA scientists, he said that most of them when they get there are atheists or agnostic. Just don't believe in God. And they're taught that in college. That's where they get it. And um, he said, but usually over a period of time, so many questions rise. So many questions come to the surface that by the time they're ready to retire, about 90% of them have converted to Christianity and, or will at least admit there has to be a God because there's no way possible 
for the Big Bang to happen and everything fall into place exactly where it's at. And so they begin now the new term. <laughs> I love it. Uh, political correctness, so dumb. The new term is intelligent design. What is that? Anyway, uh, so God is saying uh, here in Romans that creation will explain to you or tell you uh, that there is a God. And even though this process for Job had flaws because, you know, he could only understand so much, you can only grasp so much, he couldn't see uh, the things that we see, uh, it still teaches us. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If you're not spiritual, you're not going to receive the things of God. That's an incredible scripture. How many people, <laughs> we'll see, how many people say, I don't understand all of that? You know why you don't understand all of that? Not talking about you specifically. You're not spiritual. Spiritual people understand spiritual things. People that are not spiritual don't get it. You know, Jesus said, that when they asked him, why do you teach in parables? Jesus said for those that, that he wanted to see, for those that were hungry to understand spiritual things, they would see it, but for those that weren't, it was just a story. And so uh, the Bible or spiritual things are discerned by spiritual people. So understand Job had only a certain amount of understanding. We can still learn to some degree about things. 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. If we could understand the length of a man's hair from observing nature, then so could Job. Job had understanding but basic understanding of God and who God was um, because of nature now the New Testament we talked about the greater light versus the lesser light we use the New Testament to interpret the book of Job the only scripture in the New Testament pertaining to Job is in James 5 and 11 and it says behold we count them happy which endure we have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Notice, the first thing about the scripture reading is in James is what he doesn't say. James never spoke. He does not mention one time about the suffering of Job. He doesn't remember say one time about Job's tragedy. He doesn't talk about his loss. He doesn't talk about his pain. He doesn't talk about his kids. He doesn't talk about his animals. He don't talk about his money. He talks about none of that. J James does not mention it. However, he does tell us to be inspired by Job's patience and his endurance to reach something that is called the end of the Lord. New, New Testament patience is defined like this. It's remaining constant during external pressure or circumstances. Job was patient and he did remain constant through his very negative circumstances. He never stopped worshiping God, nor did he curse God like his wife wanted him to. 
That's what the devil, devil wanted Job to do, but he didn't do it. He didn't yield to it, and it is possible through all of our circumstances that we maintain our relationship with God, and Job teaches that. He had a very small understanding of God, yet he could do it. Us today, with our greater understanding of God, with the Bible, with, with the Word of God, with all of this understanding we have, when these pressures come against us, when these circumstances come against us, we understand it's not about our suffering. Jane never, James never mentioned Job's suffering, and we understand it's not about our suffering. It's about our patience to endure to the end of the Lord or when God will uh, do what he will do. So what do we know about the end of the Lord? It, we know that God, the Bible tells us in James that he is pitiful or means compassionate and he's of tender mercy. The end of the Lord tells us that if we can endure, he will bring us back to the top. The lives of Moses, Caleb, Daniel, Joseph, Esther, Ruth, David, all of these people show us that no matter what you go through in life, if you'll hang in there with God, then you'll wind up on top. Another side note, interesting side note about this is that in the entire Bible, in the book of Job, God never addressed Job's suffering. Read it. His three friends did, but God never spoke a word about what Job was going through. Not only does God not address Job's suffering, the reason that God doesn't is simple. The book of Job is not about suffering. It's about how God brings deliverance and redemption and restoration to all those that endure. The message of the book of Job is not about how Job suffered, but how a man with no Bible, no prophet, no preacher, no promise, no covenant, and was spiritually dead, had his health, wealth, and family relationships restored back to him. We, on the other hand, have the Bible, prophets, preachers, promise, covenant, and the Holy Ghost living on side of us. The first and the oldest recorded book of the Bible was not about suffering, but about restoration. Job made five mistakes in the book of Job. He made five mistakes, and we're going to talk about this. They're misconceptions that Job made. The book of Job can be divided into three sections. Chapters 1 and 2 is called the destruction. Chapters 3 through 38, the debate. Chapters 39 through 42 is deliverance and restoration. There are five things that Job and his friends say in the debate that are implausible. They just don't make sense. Now, we talked about a minute ago how the Bible is stated truly. Everything is true in the Bible that it was stated that way. It does not necessarily mean that statement is true. You understand that? Does everybody understand that? Does anybody not understand that? Because as we go through these things that Job said, we apply them to our life as though they're true. <laughs> Y'all are looking at me. Are you lost? Is everybody lost? Are you on board? You understand? You're tired? Going to sleep? Unboard? On board. Okay. I appreciate that. There are, these things are statements that are made in the book of Job 
and we apply them to our life, but they're statements that are not right. They were stated, yes, Job actually said that, yes, he did. His friends said that, yes, they did. But it didn't make them a true statement, no more true than, than the Pharisees saying that Jesus was a blasphemer. The Pharisee did say that, so the Bible recorded it, but it does not make that a true statement. Jesus is not a blasphemer. Job did say these things, but it does not make them a true statement. And when we apply them to our life and we bless God, this is where I'm going to live because this is where Job lived, we just take the possibility of God doing something for us and we remove it. Okay? When we get ready, when you get ready for your healing, when you get ready for God to do in your life, and we're not talking about just physical healing, but mental, emotional, uh, relationships, whatever it is, when you get ready for that, we apply these Job concepts. And they're not true statements. They're not what God wanted uh, us to understand about him, about how he does that, uh, or how he works. And so uh, these, these four guys, Job and his three friends, come to some, to some conclusions about God, having almost no understanding about God. Everybody understand. It's like me giving a lecture to all of these people that are brilliant about the inner workings of a nuclear submarine. Do you know how much I know about nuclear submarines? They're nuclear powered. I'll tell you that. It goes underwater because it's a submarine. And I can tell you this, it generally has people on it. They call them sailors. That's about the extent of it. Because I have very little understanding about nuclear submarines. I can make statements if I want to. Nuclear submarines don't need air conditioning. I don't know if that's true or not, but I made a statement. That's where Job was. He had very little understanding about God, and he made some statements that is not how God really is. The Bible records that statement to show us the error of Job's ways. Those statements are not qualified or not mentioned in the New Testament, but the New Testament rebuts those statements that Job made. So if you're applying Job's life to your life, you're going back in time, okay? So let's apply the New Testament. First of all, five, Job's five mistakes. I probably won't get through with them today because I've got five minutes. Somebody told me several years ago, Brother Merrill, we like it when you teach and preach because you go short. Fifteen minutes and we're done. That certain person told me about three or four months ago, and you don't shut up either now. Job's first mistake, Job 1 and 21. The Bible says, Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Boy, we've heard that one before, huh? Man, woo we shout, hey, hey, praise the Lord, man. God takes away. 
That's a wrong statement from Job. He didn't understand how God really was. Since the Lord gave it, Job saying that he has the right to take it away. But is that really true? Is that really right? Let us look at this statement. Let's, let's look at it through the understanding of the New Testament. In Luke 9 and 56, the Bible says, For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. John 10 and 10 says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. How many times have you heard the scripture quoted at a funeral or a behind a pulpit uh, talking about God or crediting God with the loss and tragedy that has just taken place? Well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And so we believe that and that becomes our perspective of God. That God gives us something and then he just snatches it away. And God's mean. He's an Indian giver. Where did that come from? What is an Indian giver? I don't know. Did Indians do that? Okay, never mind. I guess anybody else knows. And this is why we continue to repeat this same cycle about God and the same understanding about God in our minds today. The same conclusion that Job came up with, the same error we just repeated over and over uh, because we don't have this understanding of God. We, we would rather use Job's explanation than, than try to find out what, is, what the New Testament or what the Bible says about it. I'm not discrediting the Old Testament. Understand but Job's lack of understanding of God caused him to come up to this conclusion. And it's the same reason we come to the same conclusion. We don't understand God. We say God adds and multiplies and Satan subtracts and divides. God is not a taker, but God is a giver. He is a giver. And when the things come to our life that add no sorrow, we know the source is God. There's no hurt, there's no pain. Boy, we've been blessed. We know it's God. Proverbs 10 and 22 says, Blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. And when things are taken from us that bring us sorrow, we know that that source is Satan. It's not God. God doesn't take things from us. Not good things. God doesn't destroy us. God doesn't bring us down. And we need to quit blaming God for those things. God don't make you sick. God don't give you diseases. Yeah, but Brother Merrill, the Bible clearly states that, that death and sickness and disease entered in this world because of sin. Satan does that stuff, and we got to quit getting mad at God over it. Proverbs said that the blessing of the Lord that maketh rich and has no sorrow to it. God blesses us. And so we adopt Job's mentality when it comes to our situation. When somebody that, that we're close to or we love passes away, we say, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I was at a uh, wake recently and heard somebody say, well, you know, God just came and picked a flower. What? I don't want. <laughs> I read a I read an article of the top ten things not to say in a funeral home to somebody that has just lost a loved one, and that's one of them. 
That doesn't comfort people that God just picked a flower. You realize when you pick a flower, what happens to that flower? It wilts and disintegrates. And, and that's not comforting, man. God doesn't cause these things. It's appointed unto man once to die. We all understand that. But when things disappear from our life, it ain't God going to cause you to lose your job, to teach you a lesson. It's not God going to cause you to get sick, to prove something to you, or to punish you for sin. That is not God, man. God is not like that, and we need to get over our Job's mentality about saying that God gives and God takes things away from us. I don't think that I'm going to have enough time to get through the mistake number two that Job made, but I'll get started on it. Job says in Job chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not the, the chastening of the Almighty, for he maketh sore, and he bindeth up, he woundeth, and his hands make whole. Kind of sounds like the first statement, huh? God does... Job had come to this conclusion that God uses these calamities and these sufferings to direct us or bring us back to this place of good in our life. And it just simply isn't true. God does not cause calamity on you to reprove you for something. And we'll talk about that more, obviously, next week as that we are out of time. We've talked about Job's first mistake. We've got four more to go. And you'll see, hopefully, at the end of this where... Uh, we have some of the same mentalities, and it prevents us. It prevents us from getting uh, from God what God wants to give us. Praise the Lord. Thank you this morning uh, for your attention. God bless you. You may be dismissed in Jesus' name. Get up, shake somebody's hand, tell them you're happy to see them in the house of God this morning.